Melbourne AA Steps Weekend 2017. This is Neil talking about Step 3. Hi, my name's Neil and I'm an alcoholic. And by the grace of God, I'm 19 years and 8 months sober. And um, by the good sponsorship and, uh, the, and the power of this program and the power of God, it's great hearing a Neil and Jenny. Thank you. It was a great lead up to uh, step three and I really got a lot out of it and uh, I got lost in it. And, and uh, you know, today I... And thanks, Dave and Chris, for inviting us down. And uh, we got the camper town, come on down, crew down from Sydney and uh, feel a little bit at home. But I feel at home here because I feel at home in here. And uh, my... Uh, I've found today, looking back from my first sponsors, that we've got an ego disorder, and I can see that today. And because uh, my ego wants to verse the spirit, and it's the other way around. And uh, as I go through, take these actions through ego deflation, the spirit starts to verse the um, dictates the mind, and then I start to get that comfortability within. Because for years I was always uncomfortable, restless, irritable, discontent, couldn't sit still, hyperactive, and always up to no good. And because I was just, I could not sit in here. I could not handle what was going on here and here. And so I just, I grew up in an alcoholic family, and uh, and I used to look at Dad, and uh, I, I just, I just accepted the uh, the abnormal to be normal. And uh, I look back and. And I remember watching Dad drinking, and uh, as I got a bit older, I, I, I excelled in sports, and I hid in that. I was obsessed with sports. And uh, I remember coming back home. I'd left home for a year, and I'd come back, and, and I was now thought I could stand up to my dad because he was quite abusive. And he was a good man, but he was an alcoholic. And, uh, but I didn't know that at the time. I thought I was a victim of circumstances. I thought I caught this disease off him. I thought that he made me alcoholic when I'm looking back. And, uh, and I looked at him, and I said to Mum, I said... He's out there bashing the walls up, and uh, at first I was watching him, and I hadn't. I went to a normal family for a year because I was in trouble as a boy, a juvenile delinquent. And I come back, and I got back to my home, and uh, you know they were surprised why I even went back. And, and I went back, and, and I was watching Dad, and uh, he had this country music going on, this yodeling, and he was a good man, but, but he was watching. He was out there singing to himself. It was Gene Autry and Silverhead, Daddy of Mine, and. And he was playing all this music and crying and singing and dancing and punching all his bosses out. And, and I'd invite friends over. They'd go, your dad's fighting with someone again. I said, no, no, it's just, you know, that's just him. It was an entertainment box. And uh, I said to mum, later on he was in a blackout. He was punching these walls up and fibro holes, blood everywhere. And, and he was in a blackout. And uh, I said to mum, I said, why are you with this man? Why don't you leave him? I will protect you. I'll look after you. And I look back and uh, I can see a full-blown alcoholism family and, uh, and that's how we grew up. My brother was an alcoholic. My younger brother was, had ADD and hyper, all this other stuff and mum was trying to control, the, control everything, keep everything together and it was madness and I can see why she stayed but I didn't know why and, uh, and, and I grew up in that and uh, one day I picked up a drink and, uh, and I just passed out in someone's front lawn. It was a half a bottle of um, tequila, I think it was, and I passed in the front lawn and uh, I went, I didn't think much of that. And then I, t- I hit 17. And I held my nose and I had this drink of whiskey. And all of a sudden, I got that warm glow. And all of a sudden, from there on, the obsession, the obsession started. And that's where it kicked off. And I was then, didn't know at the time, alcoholic. And I was uh, powerless over this disease. I was powerless. Absolutely, it took me for a ride. 
And I was one of those alcoholics that went down really fast because I always said I was never going to be like my dad. I'll, I said, I'll never be like him. That's one thing. So I tried to be this achiever, but I didn't know. At the same time, I was going, I'll only drink this weekend and I'll stop. I won't drink next weekend. All of a sudden, the gaps were getting closer. The obsession started and I started losing interest in my sports. I was teaching karate. I had two good classes going. I was an international gymnast then. I was a bit, sink, a bit, uh, a bit shorter and... And I was just, and all of a sudden I started losing interest and I started saying, oh, well, you know, look, you, know it's, you grow up, you get older, but I was, I was just removing everything, slowly removing. And, uh, and my higher power was God. I mean, my higher power was, my, my God was the booze because that was always on my mind. It was that release. And I remember going to a club once and I, and I was dressing up and I was, and I was playing snooker and, and had the jukebox going and, boys light up and I thought we're going to have a great night you know when you're really thinking you've got control of it and you're feeling great and you're going boys light up and you've got your third schooner and and you just feel good you know think what was I worrying about earlier and also that that ease and comfort and uh and I and I just chased that and I didn't want to be um I didn't want that to go away I wanted to I said when we were sitting one day on the front doorstep in Kingcumber I just want to be drunk all the time I don't want to face up to you know being sober you know too many but as the drinking the problems started to accumulate and it was never getting any better it was only getting worse but as I crossed that line in my mind I was hoping to go back to the good times and I thought if only if I moved to Kofsaba South Australia and do this and do that and I'll get my lucky break I'll go back to the good times but I didn't know at this state now that I had this mental obsession with alcohol that every time I picked up a drink the outcome was not going to be good. And so I'd build things up and tear them down. And so I uh, ended up in rehabs and um, I come to my first AA meeting. I went to a Christian group at first and that's how I found went to um, Alcoholics Anonymous. And, and this Christian group, I was willing to do anything. I was desperate. I was facing my third high-range drink driving charge coming around a corner, nearly head-on with a police car that were looking for us and, uh, you know, other things. And... Uh, and I had uh, I lost my job and everything happened at once. And so I went to this Christian group and they were sitting in a circle and they were singing this joy that we have, the world didn't give it to me. But I started to laugh for the first time and I thought, geez, I don't know if I belong here, you know. <laughs> and they're all singing and there was people schizophrenia and some other thing going on over here and some other thing going on over there and all these. But I look now, there's no alcoholics, but I thought it was going to help me. And uh, there was... And they were clapping and in a circle and I started going... Like this. But I noticed I was starting to laugh. But anyway, a guy told me about AA. And I went, thank God, you know. You know I've got this car out the front that's got a smashed windscreen. I'm about to face prison. And I got led to AA. I went to my third, first um, AA meeting in Woi Woi and uh, it was a smoke-filled room. But what I remember there was, you know, turn our will and life over to a, you know, a higher power to this God. That was I got, a, I got hope. I got hope. And I kept going, and I kept going back. And I come at 22, and I drank for another three years. And what I heard was chapter five, which goes into the third, a lot more into the third step. Is I heard chapter five, and once I heard that repeatedly, backwards and forwards, relapsing for three years after being in AA, back and forwards in AA, is that it started to wreck my drinking. And I, wherever I went, I could no longer drink in peace. So the delusion was smashed that I could drink no longer. I could drink safely anymore. So. I ended, up in, um, I ended up in a rehab at we, uh, William Booth and I was in there for a while and, uh, and, I, and I was 
practically borderline on the street then. But I uh, said, all right, the family had an intervention. You should do something about it. So I went into William Booth. I said, all right, I'll go in there, but it wasn't for me. But I went in there, and uh, there was a bloke coming in. He had seizures and all that. And, you know, after a week later, he was complaining about coffee. I'm in there, just come off the street, drinking wine after chronic hangovers, you know, this, the, the four horsemen. And I'm in there after a week later saying to the, saying to one of the, the guys in there, the council, I said, Jesus, some sick people in here in there, you know. <laughs> And uh, what a place that was. You know, looking back at the, not knowing how sick I was, even throughout a lot of my recovery, I did not know and respect alcoholism for what it was. I had no idea. I wasn't awake. And I had to be awake, woken up through that ego running the show, self-will run right, and I had to be smashed because my ego would grow back fast. And I didn't want it to be. I wanted to be humble. I wanted to be this, you know, this great guy, you know, that could influence people and, and help others. But I didn't know how. It wasn't coming from inside. So it was always abstract. So I had to have a spiritual solution from the inside. And that was ego deflation at depth. And what does it cost? It costs what it may. But I knew I didn't want to pick up a drink anymore. And I knew that people... I was looking around and I was seeing miracles. I was seeing people coming in, swearing all the time and carrying on like pork chop and settling down and starting talking about it. The big book, and I, and, and I just, just to, I looked at the big book when I was in this uh, rehab at the time. And I said, "Oh, you've got to do your fourth step." And I had no idea what was going on. And I looked at it, and I'm reading it on my own. I thought, "There's not even any pictures in here. How's this going to help?" You know, I'm flicking through it and I'm reading it, and my head's thinking about yesterday, and I'm worried. I've just got to get on top of things. And once I get back out of here, I'll be right. And you know, I'll go to the gym. That's what I'll do. I'll go over there, and I won't worry about the meetings. And I'll do the 12 reps. And they're going, "It's the 12 steps, not the 12 reps." And this bloke had 20 years up, and he was well. He's going, and I thought he was jealous of me because I was focusing on the 12 reps. You know, and uh, you know, he had a long, stable life. Mine has been up and down, but I had to find out what he was talking about. In my head, I had a sick mind. I thought everyone was thinking about me. And I was sitting in meetings thinking everyone was thinking about me. And I was always on my own mind. And uh, it's a sick place to be. And uh, coming out of that, there's no, there's no power in that. And um, so going from self-centred to God-centred, to come out of me, is to get that level of desperation. Because I used to see people that are happy, joyous and free and I wanted what they had and I didn't know how to obtain it. And I'd look at this guy and I just wanted what he had. He's one of those peaceful, joyful, happy, non-self-conscious, free guys I'd seen. At, and uh, he was, had a fair bit of time up and he was helping others. Everyone came to him. Everyone wanted his time. And I thought, wow, you know, like they don't want what I've got but they want what he's got. And I go, how do I get what you got? And he just grinned at me. <laughs> And I was in the grips of still drinking and on and off. And, and, um, and I just remember those times, you know, when you, you, know, you try and go back and people can brag about, oh, the good times and, and, you know, the crazy things we do. But what about the times we're sitting there on our own looking at ourselves in the mirror and we feel like the king for the day and we're drinking and then we look at ourselves in the mirror the next morning or the next day because I become a round-the-clock drinker. I become worse than my dad. And... Uh, and I just remember that spewing up the, your gut, you know, your yellow bile in your stomach and, and then trying to drink again after that. And I thought, wow, that is alcoholism. That is not a normal drinker. And I needed God. So at this stage, I was still drinking. But I came, I'd done a little geographical down to Manly. Isn't that funny how I ended up in Manly, the Manly meeting, 20-something years later? Now, that is a high power at work. And I ended up drinking on the... Uh, I ended up 
going down to my auntie and I was escaping. I, I, I'd done a geographical 80 k's away and I went to um, Manly and I said, I'm never going to drink again. And I went to Hillsong and I said, that's it. And I had a power encounter. They were praying, praying for people and um, people were falling down, but I wasn't because obviously, you know, that, that resistance and... Uh, and, and I look now that that didn't treat alcoholism, but I thought, you know what, I'm going to go out and help people. And so I went out on the street and I had a week up and I started helping these people there on the street. I thought, they were alcoholics and they were drinking in the streets of man. There used to be a lot of homeless people. And I said, I too was like you. And um, I used to, you know, drink around the clock and drink plonk and, you know, I was sick. But now I found God. And a week later, my brother rang me and said, do you want to have a drink? And I knew this vulture was saying, yeah, yeah. And the other side, God's going, you shouldn't drink. You know that. You shouldn't drink. Every time you pick up a drink, it doesn't get any better, it only gets worse. You end up very sick. And I thought, oh, I can't say no. But yeah. And next thing I know, I picked up a drink. We're up on the pool table drinking. Next thing you know, I'm down there drinking with the people I was preaching to a week ago. <laughs> and they looked at me and they said, weren't you uh, preaching to us? One of them remembered. I was hoping they wouldn't because I was full of shame. I thought, oh. And that is the powerlessness of this disease. So that tells me I need to get out of myself and I need to, a new manager. But it took a while and it's taken a while and I'll keep looking back. And it's that incremental surrender, week or time after time, of you know, running on self-will and turning it over. I'm turning it over you know, when I'm coming to meetings. I'm turning it over when I ring up my sponsor. I'm turning it over when they ring me. You know, I'm turning it over when I'm praying to God in the morning. And I'll become more dependent on God and become more independent. I become more dependent on God and being able to get more done. I used to think, I haven't got time for me. I haven't got time for that. You know, I have to set time in the morning. Sometimes I don't get as long meditation, but I'll do it on the way to work. I realise what happens through sober mistakes and sober experiences because my ex experiences and my mistakes has been my best asset. It's been my best teacher, and I didn't know at the time. I didn't know that at the, I was at the beck and call of childish emotions because I wasn't working this program. And... Uh, you know, I was very self-conscious and, uh, you know, the emotions were always at, at you know, the dictating the mind and, and so whenever it happened, I would always come from fear and I would react out of that. Today I've got a, a lot more buffer. I'm still, I'm still a work in progress and I always will. That's the fun about this. As soon as you think you've got it worked out, bang, something, you know, a fear comes in and tells you, you're alcoholic, you need God, you know, you become more God-dependent. And I find that... Um, it just goes along and I just try and stay in the moment as, as a process of this going through the book and, and helping others. It's enabled me to be you know, off self and be able to listen to people and engage and stay in the moment a lot more than I used to. People would talk and I'd be thinking about me and I'd be thinking about tomorrow and they'd be going... Blah, blah, blah. And of course I wasn't present. And isn't that good to be able to engage and listen to people and be, feel enough... And that's what my higher power has done. It's, it's, it's given me, Neil, you're enough. You don't have to be more than you are. And it reminds me of that old tape that comes back. You know, you've turned your life over to me. And, and you know, I turned my life over to God and I said, God, you have me. But he, I said, but you can't have this area and you can't have that area. <laughs> and he's going, we'll see. <laughs> we'll, we'll take care of that. So if you talk about hum how do you find humility, humility has found me. I don't have to go looking for it. You know, I end up on my knees going, God help me. And uh, I realise the cost of not working this program. So, I, you know, like Alex was sharing, I, I get up in the morning, I do my morning review. I, it's my level of uh, my talking to God during the day. 
is my level of consciousness, my conscious contact with God. And I look back and he's enabled me to get through some terrible things that have happened in sobriety and a lot of terrible things that never happened as well. And uh, the fear... It's, <laughs> so, so it's been awesome. And uh, another, one of the most powerful encounters is, is my life today as I feel like as the actions I've taken, I rarely sense this spirit that I'm living in the fourth dimension. I get moments of fear comes on, but most of the time now I, I feel pretty good because I've had that sacrificial love helping others. When I've got my own problems, a sponsor will ring, oh, a sponsor will ring me, and I'll come and get the, the old high-maintenance one, and I'm in my own head, and I'll go, yes, yes. And he'll be telling me how it is. You know, it's just come off a drink. You know. I'm just going to tell me how to work the program. I go, whoa, whoa, whoa. Just, you know, and I'll just listen to him, and I'll get off myself, and I'll get that gratitude again. And, and, the, and the biggest part of my, um, my fervent prayer, which they say in the Bible, which is serious, desperate prayer was that first surrender when I had enough of booze was when I ended up homeless in Byron Bay and I rang up I ended up homeless in Byron Bay and I blew a lot of money and I was with my brother we just I smashed myself because I had chapter five still going through my head and I I thought that I'd sort life up up there on the Gold Coast I ended up in Byron Bay on the street I wasn't there long but I was there long enough to have the ego absolutely belted into mission of the first step so I could move into the others and so a, 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 that first, second and third step is always how I'm... That third step is how I'm working first and second step. And that'll be the outcome of my third step and how I've cleaned house and, and, and um, the fifth and sixth and so on. I won't go into that. But the, the part where I really, really got that emotional um, and joy, crying, laughing, was when I rang up my mum. I said, Mum, I'm homeless. I just blew... Heaps of money that I got from a car accident. I left this rehab and I, and um, mum goes, oh, dad wants to talk to you. And I said, why would he want to talk to me for? What's he got to offer me? You know, he's, a, he's, he's just as hopeless as I am. And, uh, and mum goes, he's been sober six months. And I went, oh, God, this is a man I hated and I nearly killed. And um, he said, how are you, son? You had enough? <laughs> and as I said, I had a bag, half a bag. That's all I had with me. And I just at that time I blew nearly hundred grand in three months, and uh, which was a lot of money in '97. I was going to buy a house. I was going to do this, but it's what I needed. I needed to be built into admission. And he goes, "You had enough, son?" I went, "What?" And then I found out he'd been saved for six months. And what a joy it was to do sobriety with my dad that we were mad. That, that family was mad, but it was an alcoholic family that loved each other but didn't know how to live that normal and show it. You know, would drink and would say, Dad, I love you. I love you, son. You're my favourite boy. And Glenn's going, yeah, my other brother's trying to fix it because he's the middle brother and he's trying to blend in. And next thing you know, we're in a blackout. We're flipping the table up from playing cards. He's trying to hit Glenn and I'm trying to hit him. Police are pulling up and, and uh, there's holes and black eyes and, you know. And that was just a normal night. Every time we're hoping that wasn't going to happen. And uh, here we are doing sobriety together. And I got to... He died at 17 years sober and I, got, I was in, uh, able to bury him and be the, you know, the, do a talk at his funeral and there was a lot of people there and it was just an amazing man that he turned into sober. So mum... There was nothing wasted in God's kingdom. You know, here I am saying, Mum, what are you doing with this man? She made up those years to, to my mum like nothing else. He was an extraordinary man. You know, and he, he became like my idol. When I looked at him, that's what I want to be. 
you know, and I could never quite measure up a lot, but I had to work this program because he really worked this hard. He really done this deal. Um, and to see that happen was a huge thing, you know, to, to do meetings and, you know, go out and get involved in other things. And, um, but just uh, today, to living, to say one thing, you know, to people that are suffering in untreated alcoholism, because I had a fair bit of time up and I wasn't doing this deal. I would sit there trying to think out my way into a solution, into right living, and my head would end up with a headache. It'd end up with like a brain going, shh, it's like that all the time. Someone squeezing my brain because I was always in resentments. And I had to be clear to that. I had to put my hand up and say, God, you know, I need help here. And uh, there, this place is a miracle. This changes lives, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous. You don't see it, but you only see it is when you start taking these actions that you don't believe in it. You don't, you don't believe in it at the time. You don't even believe, have to believe the steps will work just yet. You've just got to take them and you look back in hindsight and more gets revealed. You take these actions and you go, ah, oh, and then you see later on, you go, oh, that's what they meant. Oh, that's what they meant. Now I see because I'm waking up. I'm coming out of self now. And I'm starting to see this, as um, like Jenny said, or previous speaker said, I'm starting to see a, big, a wider range. And um, this program really works if you work it. And I used to hate hearing people talk about the big book and hate how I'm saying them say that because I just wanted to think my way out of this. And it doesn't happen. Thanks for listening and thanks for having us. Done. Information about the annual Melbourne AA Steps Weekend is available from www.stepsweekend.aagroup.org.au Thanks for letting us share.